Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon.com, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? So tired. So we talked about this. We're why, repeating why the conversation so we just had we are, off the air. We we are. Why are you so tired? Uh, cause I'm tired cause I have to get up early to go skiing on the weekends and I'm working really hard. I have to get up really early tomorrow cause I'm doing an interview. So let's get this show going. Okay. Christina, you yes. had a wonderful request that you made that was fulfilled for you on Twitter. Can you tell me about it? Yes. So this is amazing. So more details of the Microsoft Xbox Series X, uh, which I know nothing about and am unconnected to entirely, unfortunately. Um, the Xbox team released more details about that um, earlier this week, and the stuff looks great. And Ray Wong, uh, one of my good friends and, and friend of the pod, he was like, um, it should be made in pink or something like that. And, and, and mentioned me. And I was like, I, I need a rose gold. I, I basically sent a tweet um, to Phil Spencer. And I was like, if you make a rose gold Xbox series X, I will become like the greatest Xbox series X advocate <laughs> the world has ever seen. And I'll have to someone, change your title uh, completely. No. And I'm serious. I would, I would, I would like go to my boss and be like, uh, I got to switch to the Xbox group because this is my job now. Like I, <laughs> I, I would do it. And so um, someone um, on someone who works uh, in AR VR uh, CC'd uh, Xbox Pope who makes amazing uh, mock-ups. And actually some of his designs have even become real things for uh, people who work on the Xbox team. And it was like, oh can, can you mock something up? And so Xbox Pope made a rose gold xbox one x mock-up that looks amazing it is so beautiful it looks just like a slab of molten beautiful metal um and i want it when i first saw it i probably like many other people who saw the picture and didn't read the tweet was like oh my god they've done it and then i read the tweet and i was like no no because the controller just looks so beautiful it looks and it's so just, good it's just a big rose gold box it's like oh you like rose gold things what if you had the biggest rose gold tech thing you could possibly have the xbox series x it's a big box yeah it's i love it and like you said the controller just looks stunning and i mean you know you can kind of imagine like they've done some cool stuff with the pro controllers and i know that you can customize the controllers but like I don't know. Come on, Phil Spencer. Uh, you're my bud, right? Right? He has Phil no idea Spencer, who I am. Phil Spencer, you have no choice. Look you have this. to do it. 98 so whole retweets. Come on, Phil. Likes. The people are screaming for it. They are. 98 retweets. Hey, actually, it was, it, was, it was also popular on Instagram. But right, there are dozens of us. Dozens is, is what I keep saying. <laughs> and I mean, we would certainly make up the money to make it, right? Come on. Right. I mean, what do, what do you need? Maybe somebody, if they don't end up doing this, if Xbox and Microsoft is a fool and doesn't end up making a rose gold Xbox Series X, maybe there will be like cool reflective stickers that you can put on it. 
Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I I could do that. You could do you could get like a a wrap for it or something. Yeah. Uh, I mean that that would work. Or I guess like some of the different like custom paint services. I guess I could look at that. I will say, looking at Xbox Pope's Instagram account, the only one that has more likes of of the the Xbox uh, Series X things than the rose gold was one that was kind of like a really cool paint job of um, the Microsoft logo, like the 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 kind of the classic Windows logo. I'm which going back to look. Looks really cool. I'm oh wow. Oh wait, that's an actual controller. Hold on, I'm looking at the wrong thing. This is a stupid thing to be doing while I'm on a podcast. Yeah, I'll do actually, it later. You'll do it later. Well, that's yeah. just a little little taste of the show before we get into the show show. Um, the, for the rest of the time here, we'll be talking about Apple's maybe Monopoly with the App Store, a heartwarming story from Nintendo, and of course, you probably saw this coming, the juicy, juicy drama behind the collapse of HQ, leaving aside the question mark, resurrection of HQ. So let's get right into that. So Bloomberg is reporting that Apple is thinking about just mulling over, maybe letting users uh, make third-party apps their default, such as if you use Gmail instead of Apple Mail. Is that what it's called? That's or, what it's called. I Thank God. <laughs> or if you use uh, Chrome or uh, Firefox instead of Safari, maybe. Apple's considering maybe when you click that link or click that email address, you can decide which app it opens in. Um, this all kind of came up after Spotify actually, um, what what is the word, said, hey, you're doing a naughty, you're being very naughty, charging us 30% for subscriptions made through the App Store. And Apple was like, no, we love to have, we need that money because we're letting you use our App Store which is a debate we'll get into. And then Spotify was like, <laughs> okay, but why can't we run on the HomePod? And Apple was like, oh, no! Because <laughs> lawyers and judges started being like, hey, wait, why, why can't they run on the HomePod? Um, so that that's why these conversations are happening now. Christina, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. And I said this on Twitter. I was like, I don't care if this is because of an antitrust thing or, you know, potentially to avoid that or to avoid like the EU or or lawsuits or whatever. I don't care what the rationale is. If this happens, this would be amazing. And and frankly, I think it would be the right thing to do for users. I think there was a, a period of time where you could make the argument that, you know, the default apps needed to be default for a reason. And uh, I think that time has passed. You know, I think at this point, there are uh, third-party apps which are every bit as good and for some users better than the Apple apps. And if anything, John Gruber said this, and I agree with it. I think it's a testament to the App Store and to the robustness of iOS that a competitor in some cases, you know, like like Google could make uh, an app that would be better than the one that Apple makes that's that's built in and that, that you can't remove from your phone. So I think it would be great if that happened. I don't care what the rationale is. I think it would be great. Um, I think it's interesting to hear the thoughts about the Air, the HomePod potentially supporting other services like, uh, you know, uh, Spotify and Pandora. That's mm-hmm. interesting, right? Like, to me, that's yet another indication that the HomePod has been a colossal failure. And I'm sorry to keep banging that drum, but I'm going to keep banging that drum because unlike 
most of the people listening to this podcast, I actually bought one and greatest gadget mm-hmm. regret of mm-hmm. uh, of 2018. I think you're, it's so that is so, so right when it comes to the home pod, because when you think about the fact that Spotify, which is the most popular music app in the world, simply can't run natively on the home pod without going through your your iPhone. It is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I I get that Apple Music is relatively young as an app. And obviously, they they wanted to recreate the situation with the iPhone and Apple's native apps where like they kind of work in harmony and promote each other and everyone's using it because eh, it's the default. Maybe why not? Um, but it's just too late. <laughs> it's too late for Apple Music to regain all that ground from Spotify with a speaker that's late to the market and an app that is late to the market. Like I, I, I enjoy Apple Music. I used it for a couple of years before I switched to Spotify, but it, it's just not helping it. I, no. the, the app could become a success and the device could become a success, but they they can't compete with that ex- or they can't have that exclusivity. It's not helping them. No, and well, especially when you look at the price point, right? So you're saying, okay, I have to pay more for this device. It only works with one service and I doesn't have multi-user support in a significant way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whereas I could get a Sonos, which would work with all the music services or which is still less expensive, but is going to be closer to quality, or I could spend considerably less and get a Google Home or uh, an Amazon Alexa. And those also support multiple music services, including Apple Music, I should note. So, you know, <laughs> like it, it, it's, it, it becomes a, a really silly thing. I think it, there's no reason for anybody to buy that unless you just really love HomeKit for some reason and just really think just that Siri HomeKit. You oh just love God. HomeKit and and you think that Siri is the best uh digital assistant, which she's not. So yeah, Bixby I mean is. That, <laughs> obviously. Obviously it's Bixby. I'm sorry. No, so I mean so that one right. So that one would that that would be interesting, right? Like I think that surprises me some, but also makes sense. And and also yeah. to be totally clear. Spotify has had programs for years and years where they've worked with various uh, receiver companies and other stuff where they would allow places to, you know, use their IP kind of speakers or whatever as streaming devices. They've had a program that have Spotify Connect, I, I don't even know how far back that goes. So, you know, it's not as if it's not even possible. Apple's tried to say, oh, it's about the security and, and this and that. And look, I get it. But also, you know, you allow people to run those apps on their phone and on the Apple TV. So to me, the only reason that they were kind of doing the vertical integration with HomePod was to try to, to your point, kind of, you know, boost Apple Music um, Mm -hmm. uh, usage. The thing is, Apple Music is doing great. You know, they have really competitive. Yeah, I want to walk back what I said about the app could be a success because the app is a success. It's a, it's, ma- not it's like a massive success. At all. No, it's not. Apple Music is actually, it's a very strong number two to Spotify. And in fact, if you look at the number of paid subscribers, Apple, I think, would argue that they have more. So, uh, you know, uh, Spotify, a big part of its usage is from people with free accounts. And obviously, you need a paid account, I believe, in most cases, to use it with, with these various speakers. But regardless, that would that would be a good move to maybe make the HomePod more appealing or whatever the next version of the HomePod is, which if they do come out with another one, I... I 
predicting, I've predicted this before, but I'll predict it now, will be significantly less expensive. There's there's no way that they can try to go back to this premium place. Mm-hmm. But going back to the phone itself, I think that's interesting. Um, one of the things, too, that was in the article is they're also looking at potentially allowing Siri to integrate directly with some of these services. So you could use Siri and pull up Spotify or something else the same way that now you can with Apple Music. And that would be great. Uh, right now, you can do Siri commands, you can invoke Siri commands, but you have to add the app. You know, you have to say blank Siri, because I'm not wanting to activate people's devices, uh, you know, play Taylor Swift on Spotify. You, whereas if you, you know, say it on uh, just just normally, it'll open it up on Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is, you know, Apple bought Shazam uh, a few years ago and has now integrated a lot of the Shazam stuff both into the iPhone and they've kind of taken over the apps. And Shazam had an existing partnership with Spotify where you could kind of connect those things. And so in the settings of the Shazam app, you set what service you want and it'll sync your Shazam's with that service. So it'll also play back the full songs if you have a subscription on those services. So there is precedence for Apple-owned apps, and and Apple has kept this after they bought the app, uh, for them to have those sorts of toggles. So I think that would be interesting, right? Um, Uh, Sorry, I I have to hang up because I need to connect my Shazam to my Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, I didn't realize. I, it was connected to my Apple Music, and I just thought, oh, this is a cool thing that it does. I don't know how this happened. I didn't realize I could make it do this with Spotify. Oh, my God. I'm furious. Okay. I'm connected yeah. now. Thank you for letting me know that. I really appreciate your devotion <laughs> to helping me be a more tech-savvy person. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I'm sure people appreciate my devotion to subscribing to every single music service except for Tidal. Truly. So... <laughs> Um, uh, which I've subscribed to before. Um, um, sorry, what was the act? The the point that you were making was very good, and yeah, I no, completely different. I was going to say. It. I mean, I, I think that would be interesting, right? And that would also, I think, add some more usability to these, uh, you know, things like the voice assistant, right? Like mm-hmm. at a certain point, you know, part of having a platform is that you do allow other people to have stuff too. If you just want to have your own Apple bubble and allow nothing else okay, fine, but that's not the reality about how most people use things. And I, that, to me, gets to my my main thoughts on allowing some of the default apps to be changed because, uh, you know, I can understand if there are certain apps where there are API calls that are made and mm-hmm. if the call, you know, is going to kind of go to a default app or something, it, it might not work the same way. But, I mean, I think that for something like a mail client or, um, you know, even a web browser, web browsers... I don't think that Apple would be changing, allowing uh, uh, browser makers to use their own engine. They would still be using Safari's WebKit as the basis for what they do. But plenty of people like to have their favorites synced or their passwords synced or have other reasons why they like to use other browsers on their phone. To be able to make that the default way that you're opening links or to be able to say, I want to use Gmail or I want to use Outlook or I want to use maybe a different calendar app, I think that would be great. Uh, and um, even a mapping app, I think that would be, I would certainly would switch from Apple Maps to, to Google Maps. Yes, that is another uh, huge thing. Yeah, that, that for that reason, I'm kind of thinking they wouldn't allow maps, but it would be nice if they did. But I mean, to me, it's it's kind of like, you know, if people people use things, we don't just use one platform, we use a bunch of different platforms. And to yeah. me, it would be a good move just to say, okay, we know that you are going to stay 
in the Apple ecosystem. I, I totally agree because there might have been a point at which the the apps and the device integration were the selling point. But at this point, yep. the people who are using Apple devices like me, I'm not using it because I get to use Apple Mail and Safari. I'm using it for a billion other reasons, one of which being sometimes handoff works properly. <sighs> right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I use um, what, what do I use? I use Chrome, I believe. Let me look. What do I use? No, <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> I use Gmail. I still use Safari on my iPhone. Um, I yeah. forgot about that. Oh, Lord. But um, yeah, I'm I'm not. That's just because I'm lazy. And I do think it shows respect uh, for users and for their time if you allow them the choice to say, OK, I do not want to use Apple Mail. I shall delete it now. Or I shall hide it in that that folder of forbidden apps that I never want to look at, depending on how far they go. And I shall use Gmail and it shall be my default. And should I click an email address online, it shall open a new email in Gmail. In Gmail. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. And I should also note that uh, One Zero, the, the medium publication published, uh, Will Ormus published a really in-depth story today as we record this um, called Apple Secret Monopoly um, that's basically looking at the different things that Apple does to keep people using their services and to kind of, I guess, uh, make it harder for third-party companies, especially if they're charging, um, you know, subscription prices for for digital goods um, to, you know, stand out and to have access to the same things that Apple does, especially when it comes to their, their default apps. I don't agree to every with everything in the article. I think it's a little bit heavy-handed, but it is a good read. And in it, I think it's a, a good kind of uh, summary of some of the potential charges that Apple is facing, not just from Spotify, but from other companies too. That if, you know, uh, and I th- I'm really thinking that you EU here more than the United States, but if uh, governments were to say this is an unfair competitive practice, could be one of the reasons why Apple might be wanting to get out ahead of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, they could win the PR thing and, and everybody would go crazy and would love it. And then, then also, you know, get out from underneath the scrutiny from regulators who would – because the last thing I think that – look, if, if Apple's going to do this, I think it should be – they should do it as, as their choice first because if yes. it's mandated, that to, that's going to add a whole bunch of red tape where – the experience might actually not be great. You know, if, if the government is like, if, if the EU or someone is like, yeah, I mean, oh, you it's have been to moving offer these towards things. an antitrust case for a while now, and they should do it on their own terms if they're going to do it. Yeah. So, so um, you know, people should check out that article too. But I don't know. I mean, it's just a rumor now. I, I hope it happens. Um, I, I'm not ever thinking that we will live in the same world where Android does, where you can literally kind of set different apps to do different things and be the default for all kinds of stuff. That's just not how it works. But if I could change my mail client and I would actually also like to change my podcast client, (laughs) if I could change some um, other things, you know, maybe ways to open links, I would really enjoy that. Uh, There's an app. Sorry, go on. uh, I was just going to say there's an app called Opener that I do enjoy. And that's, you can, you can access from the share menu. And what's nice about Opener is that for certain apps that have registered um, a, 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 callback ID. Um, like, so if you're on like a web page and the URL is Reddit, you can use opener and it'll automatically give you a way to open in Apollo rather than going with the So are you X saying callback. you want to put these developers out of business? No, I'm you saying want that Apple it, to put opener out of business by allowing no. me to open links wherever I want. No, I'm saying opener, I think would still be useful, but I would certainly like 
solutions like that to be, you know, if not Sherlock or whatever, to be a, a settings thing. I was just going to say for people who are really frustrated now, if you if this does not come to pass, we do at least have some options depending on how creative certain app developers want to be mm-hmm. and uh, and things like that. I will say, this is my last thought on this. I When I was visiting my mom, we were playing podcasts in the car and she uses the D- Apple podcast default app. It made me want to scream uh-huh. using it. Oh my God. Y'all, I've been on Overcast for a few years now. It's great. They're not sponsoring this episode and no one is. So let's move on to our next topic. <laughs> <laughs> Please this sponsor us. This is a really cute Please. story out of this is so Japan cute. Uh, being reported by Gizmodo. Uh, there was a grandmother who was playing Tetris on her Game Boy, and her Game Boy broke, and they failed. They tried, you know, to fix it in multiple ways. Nobody could fix it. And so her grandson was like, well, why don't you write to Nintendo, and maybe they'll send you a new one? Because, I mean, who knows? They have this, People say they have great customer service. Um, the Game Boy, of course, notably discontinued in 2003 yeah, 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 to, yeah to be clear this is not the game boy pocket or the game boy color this is the, the game the boy original game boy like the that came out in 1989 yeah the game boy but she wrote in and they sent her a new game boy yeah and she played it until she died uh which she did eventually but she was 99 she was so old yeah, so apparently, um, and what I love this story. So uh, it went viral because a newspaper in Japan wrote about it, and then people started tweeting it. Apparently, what happened was um, she misunderstood, I guess, what her son was saying. He was, um, I guess, trying to say something like, uh, you know, they have really great customer service, and she read it as paper customer service because I guess the words look similar in Japanese. And so she took that as meaning, oh, I need to write them a letter. And she did write them a letter, and they basically said, we can't fix this, because they had, you know, it was the third Game Boy, I think, that her mother had had. She'd been playing Tetris on it for God only knows how long, and her mother was 95 at the time. Uh, This is a 70-year-old woman um, who was then reaching out to Nintendo, and she wrote Nintendo. They said, no, we can't fix it, uh, but we found an extra one that was unused in a warehouse somewhere. So here you go. And Where she, is the warehouse? That's what I'm saying. I, I want access to this warehouse. But I, I love this so much. There's like the the, the, the grandmother is not the 70-year-old woman. The grandmother is 95, and then she lived until she was 99. And so like the son, who's like the son of the 70-year-old woman, that, you know, is how the whole thing started. But it's, uh, I don't know. I think that this is just really, really... I love this. How uh, much? This how is, often, or how many uh, old devices do you think companies usually keep around? I have no idea. I have no idea. Nintendo is interesting because they would. It would seem to me, especially maybe in Japan, they might have access to more of those things. But I mean, usually, I don't think it's. I don't think it's that common. I will say, especially the older Nintendo stuff, like the older NESs and like the you know the Game Boys and things like that. Like they were really, really well made. So I could see them not having some of the decay that you sometimes see with retro devices where like the glue and things like that sometimes the the rubber will start to decay and things will happen like when we see unboxings that people do like 30 years later um so i don't know it's interesting i know uh, it's obviously not the same thing but when i was 18 i sent the nintendo that i got when i was four or five in for repair and I paid like fifteen or twenty dollars and got it back, and it was basically like brand new. Oh my and I gosh. took it to uh, an authorized service center somewhere in downtown Atlanta, 
and they shipped it off and then it came back. And it's hilarious because that unit now, you know, that sort of thing would, would be worth a lot of money for the sort of condition it came back in. But Oh, my gosh. But I mean, that was still, I mean, okay, so this was, when that happened, this was like 17 years ago, but when I got the game, I mean, but the, but at that point, the the Nintendo was like, you know, like 12 or 13 years old when I sent it off. So, and it had been discontinued for for many, many years. So, I don't know, N- Nintendo is, is pretty great. The legend is true. They do have good customer service. But if you personally know where the Nintendo warehouse is... Please contact Rocket. However, however, people manage to contact us. Um, let's move on to our third topic of the day: some HQ boardroom drama. So this, there was an excellent piece that went up about all the drama inside HQ, which you will remember as the app that was incredibly popular for a brief period of time, where you could do multiplayer trivia. trivia. And uh, win real actual money, which was divided between you and everyone else who won. And everyone you knew was probably really hooked on it for like maybe a month or less. Yeah. One summer. And it was wonderful. It was beautiful while it happened. Um, And then it just kind of fell out of the public eye, as so many things do. And finally, this year, uh, a whole load of drama happened with that company. So, Christina, I would love for you to play back to me some of the highlights of this boardroom drama. Yeah, so and this is interesting. So this is a company who, um, so is actually uh, two of the founders of Vine started HQ Trivia. Uh, they started, I guess, kind of a, a incubator type style of kind of app company. And they tried a couple of different apps. And then the third one, they came across this idea of HQ Trivia. And if you never played HQ Trivia, as Simone said, it was kind of basically a multi-user trivia game where you're playing against people all over the world, everybody tunes in at the same time, and you have 10 seconds to answer the question. And if you get it wrong, you're out. That's it. So you have like four choices. If you get it wrong, you're out. There were ways later on where you could earn, or uh, not even later on, uh, relatively, I guess, soon into it, where you could get extra lives. So you could use one extra life if you got a question wrong and, and um, you know, uh, continue on in the game. And then at the end of the game, you know, whoever was able to answer the final question, if there was a winner, um, the the money was you know, it was like $500 and, and sometimes it was more than that would be split amongst those people. And it was a really fun game. Um, you know, they had a great host originally, this guy, Scott uh, Rogowski, uh, uh, um, Quiz Daddy is what people called him. <laughs> and he, he was great, had a great personality and was really funny. And they would have two games a day. And so you would get a push notification on your phone and you'd come on and you'd watch it and everybody plays live and it takes 10 minutes and then it's over. And it was, it was fun. Uh, when it launched on Android, you know, some of the servers and things crashed. They had a number of partnerships with different companies and brands. But from the beginning, it seemed like they were having a hard time finding a business model, uh, which to me actually doesn't make a ton of sense because when you have that kind of virality, to me, you should be focusing on just getting brand deal after brand deal after brand deal, just getting companies to sponsor the games mm-hmm. and to use part of the game to promote whatever they want to promote. And then let the company even talked about that on Rocket, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Because we I think we talked about well, what are they going to do? And I think what they did end up doing with some sponsorship stuff, clearly they just didn't make enough sales and they didn't have a, you know, they had some games with The Rock and they had some other celebrities show up, but it wasn't one of those things where it seemed like it was a consistent um, experience. So um, 
starting, I guess, in, in um, you know, 2018. So 2018 is when, um, or 2017, I guess, uh, end of 2017 is when the game comes out. And then 2018, um, you know, they kind of have, you know, their 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 moment of, of you know, it comes to Android and they have some other things. But at that point, they had a Super Bowl ad. Um, but at that point, I guess, starting this kind of summer of 2018, there started to be some negative drama around the company. Uh, Recode, and, and it should be noted, I believe, that uh, um, uh, Kurt Wagner, who I used to work with, who wrote the amazing Bloomberg story, I think he was the one who broke the story on Recode that said, they're having a hard time raising money. Mm-hmm. And this might have been when we talked about it on Rocket because, you know, you have this super viral app and they can't close another funding round. Yep. And it came out that part of the reason that that happened was because um, there had been some previous complaints about maybe harassment, about some management issues with the two founders. And um, that that was investigated and it was shown that uh, one of the founders, this guy, uh, uh, Colin um, Kroll, um, he'd been kind of accused or uh, there was some alleged harassment. They found that there wasn't any indication of, of that, but certainly there were management problems and that these guys maybe weren't good managers. And there were some other reports, too, that the guy who was the, the CEO, uh, uh, Russ uh, Yusupov, that he, um, you know, wasn't really focused on the the big picture and, and would get kind of, you know, squirreled away and into other things mm-hmm. and would oftentimes just kind of be detached and, and not really, uh, you know, paying attention. You'll also remember that this is the company that famously, at their rise, uh, Taylor Lorenz, then I think she was, I don't think she was at The Atlantic, then I think she might have been at Daily Beast. She tried to do an interview with Scott Rogowski, and she did one. And when um, Russ, the CEO, found out, he basically said that you can't ever interview him. You have to go through me and then basically said that Scott would be fired for talking to her. Um, obviously he pushed back on that, but I that totally just shows. I forgot that that was a Taylor story that was, and now she's at the New York times for anyone yep. who's been following her astronomical rise. Astronomical rise. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. But that was one of her first really viral pieces. I remember like it was that she, you know, talked to him at like chopped and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, the, the CEO is like threatening, um, her and is also threatening to fire Scott. And then, you know, makes good. But from that from that moment forward, that was that was very early in the the rise of the company, right? Like when looking back on it, it's funny because that moment isn't even mentioned in the Bloomberg piece. But that moment shows like that there was there, there was, was something happening behind there was dysfunction yeah. in this company, right? Like when you have a CEO who's gonna react that way about news coverage about, you know, an employee. And I think at first Scott was just a contractor, right? Like, you know, he was a host, mm-hmm. he did some other things, he was a comedian. Um, so fast forward to 2018 and that summer there was like an attempt at kind of a, uh, uh, and, and ultimately a successful kind of, um, boardroom shakeup where one of the investors who was on the, um, the board, uh, basically the other co-founder Colin said, I, we need to get, uh, Russ out. He doesn't need to be CEO anymore. And they kind of staged a coup. A lot of employees felt the same way oh and they were able to push him out and he was no longer CEO. And then Colin took over. Unfortunately, um, uh, Colin Dry died of a, of a heroin overdose um, uh, in December of 2018, and um, that was completely unexpected and very, very tragic. Like he left the holiday party, went home, um, ordered you know some substances online, and um, and died. That's awful. And it, terrible. It's totally tragic. He was super talented. You know, in addition to being 
you know, HQ, like I said, he did fine. Really, you know, I only had a few interactions with him that he was always really nice and everybody said really great things about him with the exception of maybe some of the management challenges, which look, not everybody's meant to be a manager, so I'm not going to really hold that against him. Um, and by all by all accounts, you know, he had at least a vision for the, for the app and for the company. So he dies in December and they never really replaced, um, uh, they never really found a new CEO and, and, and Russ kind of stepped back in and kind of was controlling things again. They tried to put somebody else in, in to kind of be like a, a co, um, you know, CEO, uh, you know, in an interim basis until they found someone permanent, but he still was kind of doing things his way. And it got to the point that a substantial number of the employees, and I think they might've had some layoffs between their two, including, um, uh, uh, you know, quiz daddy Scott, like basically said he has to be removed from day-to-day operations mm-hmm. and tried to stage like another coup. And that ended up not working. And then Rogowski got a job offer to go do uh, something else. Um, and it, it, he wanted to continue to do HQ and HQ was like, no. So, you know, they lose their biggest face, right? So, so again, like this guy, like he just is like, okay, you take the most well-known part of your brand and you let him go because you won't also let him have like a, a side gig, you know, doing like a sports thing. Like it wasn't even a conflicting sort of posting yeah. thing. He wasn't so, taking over Jeopardy or anything. No. And, and so, you know, it, precisely. And so, uh, you know, there were continued problems with um, I guess, uh, the company and all this time, the app hasn't really evolved. It's the novelty is kind of worn off. They haven't come out with these other types of games like they maybe were supposed to. They tried some other ideas, but it didn't work. And uh, the app, you know, is lower and lower in the rankings. Nobody's really paying attention and they have to lay people off. And then it finally ends, or so we think, with, uh, you know, them uh, kind of announcing we can't, we don't have enough money to even pay people who are the winners. So if you're supposed, usually what would happen if you won is you'd cash out and then they PayPal you. So they don't even have enough money for that. And like, this is not a lot of money. And they basically send all employees an email being like, this is, we're over as of, as of this episode. And they did kind of a pretty great, like drunken final HQ episode, which is available on YouTube and hilarious. Um, then the company dies, right? Everybody kind of mourns it for a second. And then uh, the the CEO, you know, co-founder or whatever is, is like, but wait, but wait, you know, we're real close to a deal where a company might revive this and um, bring it back. Uh, it, it's not clear if, if the app would actually come back to be used or if it would be like acquiring IP and patents, but at least be able to pay people, you know, um, severance. Oh my gosh. You know, so like you went from like raising, you know, tens of millions of dollars and being like number one app in the app store to not having enough money to either pay people who've won games. And look, people who are complaining about that, I'm sorry you didn't get your $2. Uh, I'm actually more concerned for the people who don't have, have severance. jobs, theoretically. Yes. And not even being able to sell the company for whatever, like, proprietary tech they have. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was the thing, too. Apparently, a, a company was, like, in close talks to acquire them and then backed out of the last minute. And it's, you know, it wasn't clear why. My thought is they looked at maybe some of the way things were run and we're like it's not worth uh-uh, it not worth yeah. it so it'll be interesting to see if it does come back but what is interesting is that the ringer is going to do a podcast about HQ yes at, oh which, finally so we're going to get like our own firefest like style HQ podcast which i think is great and and the ringer of course was just a, um, acquired by um, spotify which amazing for them 
I love their content. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely going to yeah. be tuning into the podcast. I'm almost caught up on everything else I'm listening to, and I need some new some new juice in my veins. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to that too. I, I think that that'll be like uh like a rise and fall podcast of HQ, and apparently um 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 Quiz Daddy is uh is involved. So um, that's great. Yeah, this is just it feels like the kind of quintessential terrible startup story and we kind of talked about uh, with the away story it also felt like that in a way but not on such a dramatic level it felt like oh this these are some of the crappy things that happen in companies that are spinning up and don't quite know how to handle these mature situations that arise yet like these are some things that happen this is that times 10 because they just drove, they had the biggest thing and then they drove it into the ground. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it is, it's, I don't know. I love those rise and fall things. It's always sad to see something fail, but it's also really interesting when something's flying so high and when you see it just kind of, you know, spectacularly mm-hmm. burst into flames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like we said all the way back then, brand deals were really the way to make this work because you literally had people captive for 10 minutes yeah they were there to play the game and they were there with the stick uh, or the carrot of earning money themselves and why not i don't know put up a wear your big samsung shirt i don't know that's a bad idea (laughs) no but totally i mean but you could do that you could do themed um you know stuff it wouldn't have to be about the sponsor but you could make it um you know about uh, just other topics, right? Like just really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but it could be it could be tangentially related, right? So if you wanted to have, like if Disney was the sponsor for Frozen 2, you could make all the questions Disney trivia, right? Yeah. Like, like you know, take the BuzzFeed model. I think that's what BuzzFeed, even though they've had their growing pains, has done really well is that they've found a way to, A, have some really great kind of original like news content, right? Like that's a separate thing. But their viral content, they were brilliant from the beginning of kind of being like, we're going to act as an agency of sorts and do, you know, sponsor deals and brand deals where we will create content that will be, you know, feel native to our audience, but be tangentially related or directly related to this brand. And like, I think that's, that's a perfectly good business model and and it can work really well if you do it the right way and you have the right creatives. So to me, like there were some tech challenges with HQ too, as like there, you know, it it could be slow and, and people were certainly using bots and were using OCR stuff to cheat, but you know, that sort of stuff you can kind of get around if you have a big enough kind of team around it. I think that I don't know, I look at this and and all I can kind of read, you know, into kind of the whole, you know, minutia of the back end stuff is that regardless of who the person was who was in charge, you know, in addition to not being forward thinking to being like, okay, these types of games usually have a shelf life, uh, you know, look at Zynga, look at other things like these are faddish, it's not going to last forever, start looking for the next type of thing you can do to continue to bring people back. But it's like, why? To me, your your first person you hire would be a salesperson, would be a director yep. of sales. Like to me, you get a salesperson immediately and you sell the hell out of it so that you can build as much, you know, runway as possible and take advantage of the fact that at one point, you know, you had 2.2 million people tuned in to a 10-minute game. Like that's so many ratings. companies, so many brands would kill for that many eyes. I, right, exactly. And when you're talking about like consistent, like like simultaneous, that's more than a lot of television shows, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, exactly. Like, in, it, I don't know. It, it, it's sad to see, but 
Um, I, I can't yeah, wait to listen to the podcast. That's my verdict. Christina, what are you doing this week? So I am um, going to be flying. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm what traveling a surprise. again. Uh, shocker. Uh, but this is funny. So I'm going to Zurich next week. So next time we record the podcast, I will be recording it from a hotel room in Zurich. Um, but to get to Zurich was really expensive. However, I was able to find out that if I went through London and then came back through Zurich, I could save like several thousand dollars. So turns out, coincidentally, that Sarah Bareilles is in um, the West End version of uh, Waitress uh, right now. Oh, for, like, my God. So uh, my friend Jeremiah and I are going to go see her um, in uh, Waitress on the West End on Saturday. And I think that like her um, her engagement is is up you know, like maybe like the second week of March or something, first week of March. So I'm going to get in just in time. She's only doing like a nine week engagement. So I'm going to see Sarah Brellis and Waitress in London on Saturday. And then sometime Sunday, uh, take like a hundred dollar flight from um, London to uh, to Zurich. And then I'll be back uh, before the end of the weekend. And then the week after that, I'm going to be in New York for uh, concerts, that, taking some vacation. But yeah, so I'm traveling for work, but before I get there in the You're yeah, having actually, a little fun too. And I saved the company like like five grand. So Dude. Right. So, you know, not not bad. It's like, hey, I, I found a way to, to gonna not keep cost you around. I mean, I hope so. I hope so. But uh, it, it's always nice when like your your travel plans like for a weekend thing. I was like, oh, actually, this'll be a good way of um doing some other stuff in London and seeing I've seen waitress before I've seen it several times in New York but I really want to see it in London like I don't know I just it's to see her like I think that's just awesome so. yeah that'll be really fun um my week I am finally doing something I along with some of my co-workers are hosting a rowdy screening of cats at Alamo <gasps> Draft House this Saturday oh it my is God. not an official polygon event it just happens to be Sometimes a family is seven employees of Polygon who are hosting a rowdy screening of cats as a non-Polygon event. Okay? Right. So That's this is, this just is what not it is. So, this is not associated with Polygon. It just happens to be people who all work at Polygon, but this is not a Polygon event. Uh, but you just work together and love kitsch. Oh my God, Simone, I had no idea. I'm so jealous. I'm so excited. It sold out. It was announced today, um, and then it sold out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely if i wasn't going to see okay yeah uh, okay cerebralis i want to see more but if this this is oh man because if uh that saturday there's no way i could make yeah there's no, no way i could do it i'm uh, sorry the time no the time zone difference gets in my way if, if it was the reverse like if i you know like then the, the eight hour difference by hour difference whatever would work in my favor but it won't but otherwise like if i weren't seeing cerebralis on west end I would fly. I'm not even joking. I would fly this weekend to see cats. I'm um, so honored to be number two behind Sarah Bareilles performing in the West End. Also, I already bought those tickets, so it would require a lot of uh, remaneuvering. But if I'd known before that, I'm not going to lie. It might have. It would have made my decision to to go a lot more complicated. Thank you. And then That's hopefully, amazing. if all goes well, I uh, here's my debate. Okay, so knowing, knowing that we had an 11.15 p.m. screening, rowdy screening of cats on Saturday, yeah. I booked myself a ticket on the snow bus for Sunday morning. 
Um, I am. What time? I will need to leave at six in the morning. Okay, so you're just not going to go to bed. I here's my debate. There, I feasibly could no change up the tickets uh, because the the lift ticket can be reused in the this season, and the bus ticket. I think I have like seventy two hours before it leaves to cancel it. I don't want to because I really want to go skiing. However, I am concerned about potentially my safety, um, having gotten, what, five hours of sleep. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Uh, Okay, what I would do is I would, um, like, take some, um, you know, melatonin or whatever, like, on Friday as soon as you get home from work, and just zonk the hell out and sleep all day Saturday, wake up at, like, you know, four, five, six, and then um, just stay awake. Mess up my sleep schedule. Totally. kind of like it. Yeah, because the thing is, is that, okay, so Monday, Tuesday will suck when you have to get back on track, but whatever. Like, just just mess up your sleep schedule and sleep all day Saturday. Uh, shit, you could sleep until, like, I don't know, like, like 9.30. Uh, oh, yeah, if you slept until 9.30 then and just stayed up and, you know, were productive and whatnot, then by the time you were done skiing, you'd be a little tired, but, you know, you'd be ready to conk and that'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Interesting. I'm going to play around with this. I think we can make it work. I just don't want to – because, like, I'm – I'm fixing my ankle. My ankle my, I'm skiing obviously. My ankle's fine now. I'm still in physical therapy, but they gave me the huh. clear. I don't want to do anything to like break the rest of my body. However, I did wipe up pretty hard last weekend and I'm fine. So And you're fine. And so yeah, I would just say like sleep all day because if you get a ton of sleep, if you sleep all day, um again, like it might be one of those things where you need to like for the rest of the week start um going to bed like like earlier and earlier i don't know or maybe later and later i'm not really sure which way but just sleep all day saturday and then just stay awake sunday and then you know you'll be good because if you did that like i love and respect you christina where can we find you online you can find me at sleep advice (laughs) (laughs) you can find me at film underscore girl on twitter and instagram and you can find my work videos at youtube.com slash microsoft developer Nice. You can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at YouTube.com slash Polygon, where my videos are. Uh, if you like this show, you can find Brianna on Twitter at developer Brianna. No, at, at Brianna Wu. Just plain old Brianna, Brianna Wu now. Wu. Wow, yep. we miss her. She'll be back next week, actually. She's on vacation um, because Deserved. she deserves it. Uh, real quick question for you. Yeah. If there are Rocket listeners at the cat screening, do Rocket rules apply? Will you buy them a beer at the Draft House? Yes. Rocket okay, Rules Supply so at Rocket Alamo Supply Draft House. At Alamo Draft House. So if you are there, Rocket listeners, you know the deal. You need to tell Simone, I listen to Rocket, and you'll get a, a, a beer as well as your, your cats-themed entertainment. Especially if you are, like, dressed up. That's the ideal scenario for you saying hi to me at the rowdy cats screening, which I hope all of you will. Um, if you like the show, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it when that happens. Um, and uh, tell a friend about it so we can get more of those juicy listeners. And uh, I need to stop using the word juicy this episode. It's really a problem with me. Um, to tell me to stop using the word juicy, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and I'll listen to you. 
Hmm. Thanks, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. 